Hello and welcome to the CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I am joined, as always, by Xavier Trish. You can find him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and at CFP Winning Edge for Nick Allen. Nick, national championship is over. It was a pretty fun game to watch, too, wasn't it? It was. It was a good game. And, and I mean, I personally, uh, I, I was conflicted. I'll say, because <laughs> this time last year I was, I was going through and I was looking at, you know, what, what's a, an under the radar team that has the potential to jump up and, and win a national championship. I don't know if I said it anywhere or wrote it anywhere, but I've, I've thought for a while that, you know, uh, this Alabama Clemson thing uh, has got to come to an end at some, some point. So, is this the year? It didn't seem like it early on. I mean, those two seemed to kind of a, a step head and shoulders above everybody. But I was thinking, you know, who who might be a team that could challenge? And, and LSU fit that model. And so this time last year, I was looking ahead at the, you know, way too early uh, odds that, that a lot of the sports books are putting out. And LSU was at about uh, 25 to 1. I, I took a few shares and, and uh, was pleased with that, set myself up uh, in a position to, to you know, basically secure a profit. Uh, but then on the other hand, I, was, I took it as an opportunity to load up on Clemson because our numbers were pretty heavy on Clemson, had them as a favorite. So uh, I had about five and a half points. I was hoping to, to hit a nice juicy middle. It didn't work out, but uh, very, very impressed with LSU, they they just got better and better throughout the course of the season, and and uh, got a little bit of a slow start in the championship game, uh, but just you know, uh, hats off. I mean, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, Jefferson, uh, you know, Edwards Hilaire, all those guys. Patrick Queen made himself a lot of money. I bet linebackers just flying around making plays. So he was uh, very very place. absolutely. absolutely. So, it, yeah, it was a it was a fun game to watch. Xavier, uh, was this kind of how you expected it to go here? Yeah, it was one of those things where I thought that, you know, a fast start may help Clemson out a lot. Um, I explained to a lot of people, I felt Clemson would come out better uh, to start off the game. And I didn't know if that was going to be, you know, the story that everybody went with if Clemson were to win. But I did say that Clemson had been there before. And I thought that because of that, they would come out a little less shaky. Um so in that regard, I was correct. But I did think at some point LSU would find a way to make things happen. They just had way too much talent on that team. Joe Burrow was having too much, was too much, too confident uh, to come into that game and all of a sudden completely change the way he played the game. Um, and barring bad field position to start off, uh, you know, nothing could stop LSU uh, barring a great punter. So, you know, I think that the game went kind of how people felt like it would go. Uh, LSU's offense kind of dictating how everybody would perform. And at the end of the day, that offense was just ridiculous. Yeah. But I've got my own personal rant about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when the game started, it was, it really seemed like it was in Clemson's favor. I mean, they went back and forth, but the field position was in Clemson's favor. And, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence took in that first touchdown. And then after that, you know, uh, LSU answered back with a long touchdown to Jamar Chase. I thought that was going to be the tipping point, right? I thought, okay, Joe Burrows looked a little shaky. Now he's got his feet under him. 
we should start rolling from this point. But then Clemson scored on uh, their next two possessions. They kicked the field goal. By the mm-hmm. way, Potter with a 52-yard field goal when he's been kind of shaky all year. That was huge. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it's going to go you know, swept under the rug a bit because they didn't win the game, but that was a giant field goal. And then T. Higgins, I mean, you want to talk about guys making money, Nick. Uh, <laughs> T. Higgins with that 36-yard touchdown run. I mean, he looked like uh, he looked like Debo Samuel out there uh, on that reverse. So, uh, But after that, you know, the next three scores before the half were all LSU and uh, momentum really changed in the first half in that last in that back half yep. of the third quarter there. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, I think you're right. Uh, both of you are, are absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the field position was so heavy in Clemson's favor early and they came out uh, really looked like they were the better team for the, for the first, you know, 20 minutes of the game. Uh, LSU had three and outs on their first two offensive series. And some of that was, they were back so far up, but you know, uh, there were, there were some uh, passes that weren't necessarily drops, but they were catchable balls that weren't caught. Um, so LSU could have, you know, had a few big plays early. I mean, the, the, uh, was it the first play or, or really early on uh, Burrow, scrambled around and, and, oh. uh, and threw it up to, to Moss uh, for what could have been a big game. But then, uh, you know, the, the lineman had, had come downfield, that sort of stuff. So there, there were some missed opportunities early for LSU. They, they really could have come out uh, much, you know, uh, they, they, they weren't necessarily uh, rusty. They weren't necessarily playing poorly early. They just had a couple of, a uh, couple of mistakes that led to some three and outs and, and some tough field position and Clemson was able to take advantage. But uh, once LSU had some room to operate and, and kind of got into the flow of the game, uh, they just, you know, proved that they were the better team. I mean, they, they just absolutely uh, outclassed Clemson. I mean, it, it was an impressive defensive performance in the second half, especially Trevor Lawrence just did not look comfortable. Uh, he was, he was high on a lot of throws. He just, you know, never really sailing for sure. Yeah. And he just, he just didn't really settle in. And, and I think, you know, absolutely credit to, uh, Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator at LSU. Everybody was talking uh, a lot about Brett Venables, Clemson's defensive coordinator coming in. And, and, uh, Aranda was, I think a little bit overlooked, but he's, arguably a top five coordinator in the country, even though LSU, uh, you know, the, the change in offense, I think, had an impact in, in LSU's slide and some of the uh, defensive numbers. But uh, as far as, uh, you know, schematically, you know, some, somebody you want to draw up a defense, I mean, he's, he's almost as good as it gets. So uh, impressive performance uh, for him. And, and you're, you're certainly right there in the, the back half of the, the second quarter, uh, for LSU to capitalize and get that last touchdown with uh, 10 seconds to go. Uh, at that point, it, it pretty much, uh, I know Clemson scored in the, in the early third to, to get it close, but after that you know, last 10-second uh, touchdown right before halftime, that pretty much seemed like the nail in the coffin just about. At, at that point, I, I was fully uh, expecting LSU to, to pull away. Yeah, and, me and, too. Uh, and, and the, the big thing about that was uh, going into the locker room at halftime, Xavier, I don't know if you saw the interview with Dabo. He, Dabo sounded depressed and beat. 
in that in that interview right before they walk into the tunnel. He, you know, and I think it was probably because they had literally just scored before they were walking in. Uh, they scored with ten seconds left in the half. So, but he sounded defeated, and that is not something that we've heard from. Dabo the entire season I think anywhere I've never I don't remember a time where I've seen Dabo sound that defeated I mean did you see that and did you get that same feeling I didn't see it um so this is the first time I'm hearing of it but um honestly I, I don't blame him. Right. I, I mean what, what, what do you do you just saw a team score 28 or sorry not 28 but 21 unanswered points like it was going out of style right. I mean you're they, thinking they of did the Chiefs with, with the 28 unanswered. Uh, <laughs> don't even get me started on that. <laughs> I've never seen special teams have such a, a, a foothold on a ball game like that yeah. one. But, uh, you know, that's what happens when you decide to fake a punt on your own 30. But it's whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, I had a really big issue with Brett Venables all game. I couldn't understand. Maybe he didn't trust his defense to get a stop while playing zone or what. But I don't care who is my corner. I don't care if Deion Sanders is my corner. If he gets beat three straight times for three touchdowns, you go to a zone. I mean, you put somebody over the top. They were playing uh, a a 3-7-1, which, first off, cool. Secondly, why why is there only one safety in the middle of the field? This LSU offense is not hard to read. The, the, the touchdown, I think two out of the three touchdowns is Jamar Chase. He literally looks over at Justin Jefferson, sees he's not open. Jamar Chase is running the same exact route. He's open. He throws it to them. Just put two safeties and tell them to guard the two guys on the outside, and you give away the middle of the field. You tell you say, Thaddeus Moss, you beat us. You go for 250 yards if you have to. But those two guys on the opposite side of the field, they're not going to beat us today. I don't know what Venables was doing in that regard. Uh, and, boy, I mean, Thaddeus Moss – you know, what did he have three touchdowns coming into this game? And he yeah. had the big one before halftime, and he caught one, uh, the first one in the second half as well. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was just, you know, the second half, there were only three touchdowns, but it was the, the Joe Burrow show at that point. You know, it was um, him just going crazy, 463 yards and five passing touchdowns. He also ran one in. I thought it was interesting that Clyde Edwards-Alaire didn't come off the field. He played, I I think, every offensive snap of this game uh, coming off an injury. Uh, that was pretty cool to see, too. But, uh, I mean, Nick, did you expect Clemson to get back in it? Uh, was there a hope of that in the second half? Or uh, are you sticking with your original, like, you know, when Thaddeus Moss caught that touchdown at the end of the second, it was pretty much over? Well, at that point, it, it felt over. And I, I did get a, a little bit of hope when Clemson came out and, uh, you know, scored and then they got the two point conversion to pull within three. And when, you know, at that point I was like, okay, you know, maybe there's a chance. I didn't really, I guess, believe it, but I, I, (laughs) I did have a rooting interest, uh, in Clemson in the game. So I, I was, I was certainly hopeful, but, uh, you know, it, it, it turned quickly. And then LSU, of course, you know, scores again uh, about five minutes later. And, and at that point, it almost seemed, you know, 10, 10, uh, 10 point differential was was just too much. Um, it, it didn't seem like Clemson was going to be able to stop LSU. And, and uh, yeah, I think I think Xavier made some great points. Uh, one, A.J. Terrell uh, losing money 
might have, might have certainly, uh, you know, that's, that's not how you want to end a college career. And he does have another year of eligibility left and hasn't, you know, to my knowledge, made a, made a decision. Uh, but that, you know, that that's gonna that's gonna hurt in, when he's when he's uh, having some conversations with NFL decision makers in the in the draft process. They're going to be pulling up the film of this game quite a lot and, and asking some questions. So uh, that's that's difficult. But uh, you know, one thing that that I was most nervous, I guess, at that point was uh, and Xavier, I think, alluded to it a little bit. But that the the you know Clemson. Uh, played three they had they had three safeties on the field a lot in in this game and they they did it a little bit uh throughout the course of the year and and you know one of those was Isaiah Simmons normally a linebacker they they had him play some safety he played uh there's a an NFL draft guy Jordan Reed I like following on on Twitter who uh kept a, a tally of every position Isaiah Simmons played in this game and it was ridiculous had him playing like seven different uh, uh-huh. you know, actual positions, but, uh, Simmons is, is, is very, very good. And I know that there's some talk that he's got, uh, really some incredible, uh, straight, you know, straight line uh, speed, just like in a, in a 40 yard dash, but, uh, he has gotten beat a time or two when he's been singled up on receivers earlier in the, in the season. And then the other two, uh, starting safeties for Clemson are, are very productive, very experienced, very smart players, but, uh, not, you know, uh, not as as athletically gifted as uh, certainly the LSU receiving core. I mean, uh, you know, uh, receiver wide receivers and tight ends. It was just a, uh, an athletic mismatch, and 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 that was something that perhaps I didn't put enough enough thought into coming into the game. Uh, but once we saw the the two on the field, it, it was a certain you know, advantage for LSU. If you're, if you're going to get singled up with one of those safeties, uh, LSU's just got a, a huge edge uh, in those matchups. And, and they were able to exploit those a few times and, and just get, you know, some good situations. Thaddeus Moss, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought him up. He didn't have a huge game statistically, but, but there was a point where I was, you know, jotting down notes uh, in my uh, notebook while watching the game. I, 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 wrote you know Thaddeus Moss MVP just because he was a, a security blanket for Burrow and he's he's so uh, talk about athletically gifted he is such a, a matchup well nightmare his and, dad you know <laughs> right yeah no, that, that certainly helps it certainly helps but uh you know he he had some some big catches he's he's just somebody that you know if Burrow was getting pressured uh, that's that's who he looks for, and, and you know certainly he could find Chase and Jefferson if they get away, get open, and, and whatever. But it, but when he needs to make a throw on third down to move the chains, uh, it's got a good chance of going to Moss, and and you know it's got a good chance of of uh, getting completed and, and and moving moving the ball down the field. So I was very impressed with him. I was very impressed as I have been with LSU all season. I'm, I'm sad that our numbers were uh, so low on them all year. I mean, they, they didn't move into the number one spot in our rankings until this game was over. And that was because, you know, boosted at Odron's uh, head coach score and, and team performance. Obviously, they got a, a bump by uh, this win, but uh, a little bit, little bit uh, disappointed that that we couldn't catch on 
early enough. That's something, you know, long, hard off season. Wow. I have to figure out what, you know, how, how are we going to uh, identify next year's LSU if there is a next year's LSU? Nah, yeah, there uh, won't be. <laughs> I mean, uh, first of all, Xavier is absolutely right. There's not going to be another LSU because there's not going to be another Joe Burrow, right? And this is the first one ever in college football history where the guy goes from, uh, you know, I believe last year he had three games under 50%. Uh, completions and this year he didn't have a game under 60 or 65 it was nuts yeah. uh, so you're not going to have that and if you think you're the first one to ever doubt Ed Orgeron you're absolutely incorrect the guy was a joke for a while because of his accent and the way he talks and stuff uh, you know he was basically a meme and uh, now he is one of the best coaches in college football and uh, building a, uh, an unbelievably awesome program at LSU so um, clearly not not the only one uh, to, to be low on Ed Orgeron ever so uh, the post game stuff I thought was interesting uh, not uh, on a you know betting level or anything but just on a commentary level there are a couple things number one uh, what did you guys think of OBJ out there handing grips of money to seniors I mean Xavier I, I feel like I mean I loved you, it you have an opinion on that <laughs> I absolutely love me too. I mean it's, it's a big middle finger to the NCAA but right, right I just I just absolutely love it I mean what are you gonna do suspend them from off off-season activities good luck um you know I, I you know OBJ is one of those people who I love some of his antics other antics I you know don't love so much, uh, like, you know, fighting with the field goal uh, contraption. You know, not a big fan of those, but I absolutely loved it. I think that, you know, I love when alumni come back to schools uh, and support the players. I think that's always lovely. I love when I see it on Twitter as well. So to see that, you know, these kids who have made not a single dime in their entire collegiate career get, you know, more money than they've seen their entire time in college is, is awesome. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Nick, what did you think of that? Yeah, I don't I, I don't have any problem with it. I mean, I think they're just, you know, having fun and, and uh celebrating and, and I didn't I haven't, you know, followed up any of the the stories on it or anything. I thought it was pretty funny that LSU apparently the first thing they said was like, Oh no, no, it was fake money. Uh you know, nothing <laughs> nothing to see here. Uh, which is which is just just funny. But they're but, uh, they're I don't, I don't box. Uh, they're Odell <laughs> right. bucks that you can turn into real bucks. Uh, if you bring them to, uh, his house, probably I, to, to be honest, it looked like fake money. I don't even know what it was, but the other Apparently, thing was, uh, uh, I was going to say they came back out and said it was real. Well, yeah, oh, did they really? said, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It was real. But, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, if it, if it was, I, I have no problem with it, you know, no, not, not a, not a, an issue as far as I'm concerned. Did you see the dumbass cop? trying to uh like keep them from uh to to keep them from smoking cigars in the uh in the locker room like i I don't know like they're they're celebrating a national championship dude like what are you are are you really trying to enforce all the rules right now i mean isn't this kind of a major event can't you recognize that i thought you know um uh, cops get a lot of flack anyway so i don't i don't mean to give cops overall flack about this but just you know, this one guy seeming like he was trying to be too, too important. Uh, I thought that was really weird. Did, did you guys see any of that stuff? Yeah, I saw, I saw something about it. It, it uh, the, the, uh, probably the funniest thing I saw in, in reaction to it, uh, 
uh, was just somebody, I forget exactly who, but uh, said, you know, don't you know that LSU just won a national championship, so all laws are suspended in the state of Louisiana for at least the next, you know, 12 hours. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke, but it's also kind of real. It's also kind of true, though. You know. Oh man, I I, th- I thought that was some funny stuff, but uh, I mean, overall feelings on the uh, greater 2019 season here, Nick. What what were your thoughts as as uh, we close 2019 down? Well, I mean, we'll we'll expand, I guess, on on just sort of wide ranging thoughts, but but uh, my initial reaction just to LSU as national champion is uh, it was an incredible season and and uh, they were a program that had uh, built such a talented roster but had not quite utilized its full potential they were able to uh, find a missing piece or really two missing pieces one a quarterback uh, that was able to take things to a new level and and you were saying there's not going to be another Joe, Joe Burrow and I have to wonder you know, in this in this age of the uh, you know grad transfers and and online classes and all that sort of stuff and and the just little things you hear you know on game day or whatever about Joe Burrow how he you know doesn't go to class he's got online classes and and he's just at the facility all day basically like he's a pro quarterback in college and and I I have to wonder if that's going to be something that is replicable. You know, it's got to take the That's right guy. Point. He's 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 specifically he's a coach's son. He's a, he's a uh, a division one, you know, coordinator's son. That that in itself is is unique. So you're not going to be able to replicate that all the time. But you know, you you do have guys that have the the drive, the desire to be the best that they can possibly be, uh, to to put in the time and the energy. Now he just might be a special case to be able to everything wrapped up into one, uh, but that aspect of it I think it, it might be replicable. But but him specifically, just as the perfect centerpiece of this offense, and uh, we didn't see it last year in part. He got there late, uh, didn't get in until fall. You know that that sort of slowed it down. But over the course of uh, the next, you know. 500 days was able to uh, just just absolutely blossom uh, as the quickest probably one year turnaround from from you know a quarterback that we've seen maybe in and at least in my memory I mean it just incredible development him and then you know the second missing piece was the change in offensive philosophy and you know the uh, Joe Brady got a lot of credit and I'm sure deservedly so I think Steve Inslinger needs uh, to be, you know, given just as much credit, uh, showed a lot of humility to, you know, basically sh- uh, share the spotlight with somebody that's what thirty years younger, uh, you know, something something like that, who, who has been a, a football coach in any sense for what seven years, not you know, probably that might be generous. So, uh, for him to to uh, one be open to new ideas and, and a new way of doing things and, and to uh, really take it and, and run with it and, and work with, uh, you know, this young, uh, I, I don't know what the, the, the right word is, but, you know, basically turned into a right-hand man who uh, eventually ended up getting so much of the credit for the turnaround. Uh, but, but that it was very important 
what they did to, to revolutionize the offense, to move it forward, to take the best advantage of their talent uh, was, was pretty special to see. And so it'll be interesting to see now that Brady is, is moving on, going back to the NFL, you know, are they going to be able to carry it over? Insminger, I can assure you, is no dummy. You know, he called the plays, basically, uh, from what I understand, pretty much anything that wasn't like a, a plus 10 to go. Apparently, Brady uh, did call the plays when it was like third and 10, you know, whatever, 10 yards to go plus. Uh, but I bet this LSU offense is going to look very similar, even if Brady is, is you know, not there next year. But uh, those two things... Were, were just incredible to see it happen. Uh, the the quarterback just having a, a historic season. The offense taking the best advantage of, of what it's got. Defense was man for man, uh, arguably the most talented in the country. And uh, they had some growing pains early on and, and had some adjustments, but uh, they had a, a really excellent game against a defending national champion that won 29 games in a row. So storybook season, excellent all around. Really enjoyed it. And Xavier, what was your kind of final takeaway of the 2019 uh, college football season here? You know, it's funny. I thought about a similar question like that after right after the game was over. And the first thing that came to my mind was actually I kind of felt cheated a little bit. And I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> um, I think we didn't get the best four teams in the country in the playoffs. Um, now, obviously, that comes down to the teams that make it. Um, but I think to an extent we got cheated. I think losing Tua and not having Alabama in the uh, in the top four what, what was something that I think we'll look back on and you know overall is 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 going to uh, it puts a little bit of a damper on the season for me. I would have loved to see Alabama LSU two, um, and unlike la- last time where it was like a, a boring slugfest six nine, you know this game was forty four forty one. I would have loved to see you know, on a neutral field, what that game could have looked like. Um, you know, also, I thought it was pretty scary to think that, you know, Alabama has to lose its best defensive player and its best offensive player to only lose two games. Uh, I, I think that's quite terrifying. But um, and then also, I felt that there were some teams that didn't play up to their potential or picked up a dumb loss that stopped them from getting in. Uh, obviously, those teams are Georgia, Oregon. I felt the same way about. I felt that they shouldn't have, lo- if without a loss, they may have been had a better argument to get in. Uh, obviously, what we, we saw them do to Utah. I felt like Texas let us down this year. Uh, I felt like they were a team that should have challenged more in the Big 12 and would have made the Big 12 more formidable because it would have had three teams, uh, three tier- top tier teams. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was the first thing that came to mind. The second thing that came to mind was LSU, like my dad said in like week seven, he's an LSU fan, uh, but that this is a, a destiny-like season for them. It was all the chips lined up exactly like you would want. Um, a quarterback in his second year under an amazing offense from a guy who was the assistant, who was an assistant uh, at, for the pro team that's in the same exact state. Uh, they, they they go and beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. They, they have the national championship game at home. I mean, you couldn't write what all went uh, right for them this year. And then it, it was it was awesome to see. Um, you know, I we were talking about another Joe Burrow-like season probably won't happen. But to an extent, we can point to guys like Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, two guys who did transfer um, and were relative – I won't say relative nobodies, but they weren't high on anybody's draft boards when they transferred to Oklahoma. Uh, I very, I don't even remember Baker Mayfield before he went to Oklahoma, and Kyler Murray 
was coming off of some up and down years at A&M. Um, so the, the, that kind of a storyline, obviously, I think will be able to be replicated um, as far as the way Joe Burrow um, ingratiated himself and kind of Louisiana as a whole and the culture, you know, donating to the uh, to the high school, changing the back of his name on his jersey to, uh, you know, New Orleans slang or Louisiana slang to, to, to be spelled with E-A-U-X to say Burrow. Cajun. All of that kind of stuff. Or, yeah, you're right. Cajun, My bad. Nick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to be spelled like that. That kind of stuff. I don't see that being replicated again. Uh, that was like some Tim Tebow type stuff. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, overall, it was a fun season. Uh, it was a weird season at times. Um, obviously, I think I don't think anybody saw Baylor. I, I definitely didn't see Baylor or Utah being where they were at this year. Uh, I also didn't see Lynn Bowden being, you know, the top uh, a top six quarterback in the SEC this year. Uh, well, so yeah, because it's supposed to be a whiteout. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that one was so, uh, uh, you know not predictable. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, th- I think that there were some definitely some great stories and some and, you know, uh, college football always gives us some great stuff. Obviously, for me personally, Georgia State beating Tennessee was amazing uh, and something I'll never forget as a Georgia State student mm-hmm. and uh, future alum. So, like, you know, uh, but yeah, college football always gives us some great tidbits. And once again, they did it again. Yeah. I mean, all, all I'll remember is that uh, Texas was closer to beating LSU than Georgia was up here. So, <laughs> call them disappointing all you want. I agree with you. Still closer to beating LSU than your team. So uh, <laughs> six losses uh, or yeah, five losses, five whatever losses. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Five, <laughs> five losses. But uh, should uh, Nick's already overrating them like everybody else. I oh, saw yeah, I've it. Seen that. I saw it, but I, I tell you what, uh, it, it was a fantastic season. And Nick, you, you made a great point about, um, you know, the, the possibility of more players like Joe Burrow um, possibly making uh, a, a, a huge switch or turning the light on or however you want to say it. it w- when they transfer, um, you know, Burrow didn't do it immediately. And it took him a lot to to get there finally. But I, I you're you're absolutely right when you talk about the fact that um, you know players with the transfer portal can move. Uh, they can do online classes now and stuff like that. They could be in the building more. Um, I, I think Burrow was a special case because he just wasn't good. Like he was a high <laughs> recruit. He wasn't a good quarterback until this year. And, you know, a lot of Joe Brady obviously gets a lot of credit in that and deservedly so. Um, But I don't think we'll see someone like I think we'll at least see a little bit of a spark from someone else. I mean, Joe Burrow was so bad at at Ohio State. They brought in another quarterback. Now, it's tough to turn down a guy like Justin Fields, incredible talent. But they, they were he was he wasn't even in the realm. They're, they're going to bring someone that they haven't seen in their building uh, from another state. Let's bring him in and push this guy out. That's where he was in his college career. And to, to go from that to winning the Heisman and a national title and setting the all-time completion percentage marker in uh, college football history, uh, I just don't know if we'll see that specific again. But there is, like you mentioned, there's tons and tons of possibilities opening up now because of the transfer portal. And one that came down in the middle of the game. 
that I I I didn't see. I, I saw your tweet, Nick. That's how I saw it. Derek King entered the transfer portal. Um, there's a bunch of wild speculation, but uh, I mean, how do you feel about that? First of all, did you think the timing was appropriate or right or whatever? And where do you think he's going to end up? Well, I, I thought it was funny. I mean, it, it was certainly uh, an interesting time to do it. And, and before we started recording, Xavier said it pretty perfectly when, when he said that uh, he either timed it so that no one would see it or everyone would see it. He, he didn't know which. <laughs> and I think that's a, a good way to think of it. I mean, it was in the third quarter of the national championship game and, and certainly, you know, plenty of speculation right away of, oh, well, Joe Burrow's gone. So uh, maybe Derek King to LSU. And then uh, during the, the coach's film room, one of the, the other uh, feeds of the, the game uh, where uh, Gary Patterson and, and, uh, Mike Gundy were sitting next to one another and Patterson's like, Oh, remind me to, to tell you somebody just jumped in the portal. Guess where he's going. And so then there's, you know, speculation on, Oh, is he talking about Oklahoma? You know, so, so it, it will be fascinating to, to see where he ends up because, you know, we, we saw Derek King really at his best in 2018. He, he accounted for 50 touchdowns in uh, what 11 games. He was hurt at the end of the year, so uh, I, I, I'm really you know fascinated to, to see where he ends up. Uh, certainly, and and uh, it was always weird. I mean, that he you know played four games, started four games, and then said, "Okay, I'm going to redshirt." And it sounded like immediately that it, okay, well. King's going to transfer, obviously, but then they tried to walk it back. He sort of, you know, uh, I don't know if he said it uh, explicitly or, or or if he just said, you know, no, I'm not in the, the transfer portal right now. I, I forget. My memory is not I what think it used it was to be. A, I'm not in the transfer portal right now. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and you know, I, I think everybody kind of expected that there was a, a good chance that this could happen. I, I think I was uh, kind of leaning 50-50, like maybe he goes back, sure. Uh, but I, I certainly thought there was a, a decent chance that he could come out, and it will be very, very interesting to see where he ends up because he's uh, when he's when he's healthy and, and when he's on the field, he's one of the most exciting players in college football. Uh, he's not an elite quarterback like we think of a traditional quarterback but he's a an elite playmaker an offensive weapon and in the right system can have another absolutely huge season so uh somebody's you know more than likely going to get a really really good one uh with Derek king xavier what did you think about him and the timing and all that stuff i mean i felt like i said like nick said i felt like either he wanted no one to know that he was coming out um, or entering the transfer portal, or he thought he, or he wanted everybody to know it. Um, it's one of those things where I felt, I, 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 I thought originally, you know, he was going to be one of Georgia's top wants. Um, obviously, now with later news that we'll talk about in just a second, um, that's not going to happen. Uh, but the kid is one heck of a prospect. I mean, geez, I mean, he's one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in the country. Um, and anybody would, I think, anybody in the country that doesn't already have their starting quarterback in line. Um, and I'm talking about top tier starting quarterbacks would, would, would not want to have him on their roster. Um, obviously the first school that comes to mind of where he may go is Oklahoma because they seem to pick up everybody. Um, but I think they're pretty set on Spencer Rattler. I think they like him a lot. Um, obviously that, that video of him throwing, 
uh, was it the behind the back pass or something into the back of the end zone uh, has gone viral. Uh, so about him being and with him uh, looking to take the starting role at Oklahoma next year. Um, but I think anybody who is able to get him to come to their school is immediately better at the starting quarterback position. Um, he offers you so much from a talent standpoint, the ability to pass and uh, the ability to run, obviously. Um, so I would love to, I can't wait to see where he goes. Um, I think whoever gets him got themselves a great player. Yeah, I mean, do you guys think that there's any possibility that, uh, because I don't know if he's a quarterback in the NFL, do you think there's a possibility that maybe he transfers to play wide receiver somewhere? <laughs> that would surprise me. I mean, okay. I, I I think you're probably right that, he, you know, from a profile standpoint, he, he doesn't, uh, he's not a traditional NFL quarterback, obviously, uh, but Kyler Murray's not either. So I think that the, I think the rules are changing or have changed. So I think there's a, a possibility. Um, you know, there, there certainly is a possibility that if he goes out, has a great uh, senior season, that somebody's going to give him a chance. And and uh, I I would be surprised if he did this just to play wide receiver. He could have just played, you know, quarterback for another year and then come combine time say, yeah, I'm open to playing wide receiver. That's fine. Uh, so it, it would surprise me. I, you know, nothing shocks me anymore. So if that happens, you know, great. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, one thing, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent. If, if he were to, to do something like that, if I were advising him, which he certainly doesn't need my opinion i would say uh play corner i mean you know yeah uh, the the pathway to the nfl as a cornerback is much easier than than pretty much anything else and now that teams are playing you know five five uh defensive backs on the field at least you know five six seven uh is more and more common that that you know a lot of high school wide receivers need to play corner <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm with you in a lot of defensive linemen need to play o-line too because uh it's not sexy so it gets uh you know it gets passed on as far as uh kids wanting to play those uh certain positions and stuff so i'm absolutely with you on that i just you know i i sit here and i try to think of good uh quarterbacks that tran that make the transition to wide out in the nfl and there just aren't many so it seems like if if that's where you think your career is going to go, you kind of need to get ahead of it in college instead of making that jump in the pros. Because the last couple guys that have done it, I mean, you know, who's the most successful guy? It was Antoine Randall L, you know, um, uh, as far as recent guys go. And I don't even know if Xavier is old enough to know who Antoine Randall L is. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> He's one of my favorite people growing up. Okay. <laughs> See, there you go. Uh um, Heinz Ward, yeah, that's the, but Heinz he didn't. Ward in Georgia, play, he didn't yeah. even really play quarterback very much in college. Mm-hmm. He, he played, played everything, game. though. I mean, he Antoine yeah. Bolden played a. I mean, he was a high school quarterback, but I don't know that he actually lined up at quarterback at Florida State at all. He did. He did uh, in their I mean, bowl game. Uh, that, okay. That that was the thing with him was uh, he he had a, a kind of a Lynn Bowden game instead of a season. Uh, it was, uh, I can't remember who their quarterback at that time was, but 
Um, he played he played quarterback for the bowl game because uh, everybody else was hurt or suspended or I forget what the situation was, to be honest. But uh, yeah, he played QB in in their bowl game. I, I do remember that. But I was just thinking of, you know, as far as your professional career and wanting to build it, maybe that's something that he would do. But I mean, you know, we'll find out soon enough. I just thought uh, I, I was just giving that a thought earlier today. But um Xavier, you immediately kind of went to the nah, nah. <laughs> and the reason why I immediately went to the nah is just because <laughs> I feel like, you know, in, okay, I'll put it to you this way. Depending on where he transfers, I, I genuinely think that, that he kind of makes his decision. I think if he yes. transfers to a team that already has a quarterback, mm-hmm. then yes, absolutely. Uh, but I don't think, you know, Normally, when you decide to play quarterback and when you've been playing quarterback for the you know the bulk of your career as a football player, all of a sudden changing to a completely different position, um, you know, in your last season is just not something that you that you do as a player. I think more than anything, what you do is you go in, you play as a quarterback, and you let NFL teams dictate where you are, but they just know you as a great athlete, giving you more of a leeway to do that. Uh, something of uh, of what John Franklin did when he was at Auburn. I think right. that you go in as a quarterback, you play as a quarterback, and then ultimately, if an NFL roster, an NFL team picks you and they say, we want to move you, then you can pay to move me. I'm not moving for free. Uh, so I just think that that's the stance he'll take. Um, now, obviously, if he goes to, I don't know, uh, Texas, and he's like, all right, I'm going to play quarterback um, instead of, you know, sit behind Sam Ellinger. Oh, you okay. guys better hope he Makes doesn't go fun. to Texas. I will, <laughs> I will be insufferable. If that happens. So uh, (laughs) not that I'm not already insufferable, but I will be more insufferable if Texas got Derek King and especially got him to just play a whiteout. That would be amazing. So I'm with you. I just, you know, uh, for whatever reason, I I kind of I thought that it was a possibility. Um, You know, it's I I would say as far as possibilities go, I would give it maybe like a 10 percent chance. But. Uh, you know, you got guys leaving uh, bowl games and, and not playing in them for their NFL career. So who knows uh, where the thought process uh, for a lot of these kids uh, is as far as their future. A lot of guys, you know, I mean, they're kids. Most kids look at, uh, you know, w- what is, you know, what's going to do something for me right now. So mm-hmm. um, but I mean, you know, dear King's a smart, a smart dude. So. Uh, maybe he's thinking about that money a little bit. So uh, who knows? But there were other moves that happened, and I am so excited, Nick, about Mike Leach in the SEC going yes. to Mississippi State. <laughs> I I am pumped up for this move, right? Aren't you? I I, I am going to overuse a word a lot this uh, off season, and it's it's fascinating. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to be I, I'm just completely fascinated by this. Uh, Mike Leach is, is, you know, love him or hate him. Uh, he has been able, he has a track record of doing more with less. And part of it is, is, you know, his system. I mean, it's, it's, uh, just, it's been proven, uh, that, that the, you know, the air raid and the way that he runs it, that the traditional, uh, air raid, it certainly there seems to be a ceiling to it, and and, and he's been at places where there's sort of a built-in ceiling uh, in general. But he wants to see apparently if it can work at 
basically, you know, the highest levels of college football, he's going to have his opportunity. Um, it is certainly, you know, you throw a, another interesting personality, uh, we'll say, putting it lightly, uh, in that rivalry is is certainly something. And I've, I've mentioned before, having, having lived in the state and, and seen it sort of up close that, you know, not being from there, but, but sort of getting more of a feel for uh, how it is, you know, there uh, on the on the ground, so to speak, and it's such a uh, just bitter hate. I mean, hate. You know, we throw the word hate around uh, in college football. These two fan bases hate each other, and I think that oddly enough, one of the the things that my mind has gone to is with Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. Neither of them take themselves too seriously, and I think that that perhaps will be good. For this rivalry, I think having having you know the the two main figureheads who are willing to uh, put themselves out there the the way that they do really are not uh, for the most part anybody that that we ever really see get too passionate. I guess I don't I don't know if that's the right word, but they're just you know they're kind of easygoing guys, and and I think that that might be good, and and uh, it it. It'll certainly be interesting. He's going to have more access to better players. He's going to be able to recruit, you know, the the deep south. He's it's there. There are plenty of players in Mississippi. There are uh, junior colleges all over in Mississippi. He has a, a strong track record of of recruiting Jukos and uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and at uh, Washington State, he did a good job uh, recruiting Jukos. Uh, you know, Florida's not far. Georgia's not far, Alabama's not far, Louisiana, Texas. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's going to have the ability to, to get out and get better players. So that will certainly be fun to watch. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm very, very interested into how it's going to work. And then uh, as we're recording, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but uh, Kylan Hill just announced that he's coming back. And really? their best okay, player good. on defense uh, Errol uh, Thompson, the linebacker, announced that he's coming back. So that that's certainly, you know, those are two big recruiting wins right there because both of those guys could have gone pro and, you know, Hill especially. Is, well, I is, thought uh, Tylen Hill announced that he was he It's was been going. really weird. Yeah, it seemed, uh, I had him I had him highlighted blue in our team profiles because I, I thought I had he must seen have not an official. With a, he must have not signed with an agent then, right? Yeah. Right. So. right. Put his name in the pool and thought about it. Right. But uh, yeah, as of you know, ten minutes ago, uh, almost six o'clock on the East Coast, uh, Kylan Hills announced officially he's coming back. So that that's a big win. They need some receivers. Uh, it might be a you know some growing pains in year one, but uh, there you know it, it will certainly be fascinating to to watch him operate. And you know Starkville is kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean it's it's appropriately named. But uh, the spotlight just in the SEC in general is something that Mike Leach really hasn't had to deal with. So it'll also be fascinating to see because he can get, you know, he can get a little squirrely. He can get a little combative with reporters and, and you know, there are going to be a lot more cameras around. There are going to be a lot more reporters around. And, and uh, so it, it'll be interesting to watch. Be fascinating. I mean, Xavier, are you are you just unbelievably excited for this? Come on. What? <laughs> we we get Mike Leach in the SEC. And then to add to it, 
we get Lane back as well. And they're in the same state. They have to play each other. Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be amazing. I cannot wait for the first time that Mike Leach blows up at a, at a, at a guy for, for talking about his air raid offense. Oh, it's going to be unbelievably amazing. Secondly, to think that I get to see Mike Leach shirt, Mike Leach possibly in a Stark Vegas shirt. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, and possibly see Lane Kiffin throw up the land shark on top of his head. Oh, that's just going to be fabulous. I am definitely applying for media credentials to media day this year. Uh, I have so many questions for the both of them, and I cannot wait to see what happens here. Um, yeah. Oh, man. The SEC West just became fun again, even at the bottom. Even yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see. Like Nick said, uh, the air raid with uh, better recruits yes. at Mississippi State. It's gonna be uh, unbelievably exciting. I mean, I don't know if uh, a wide receiver that he gets is going to be as good as Michael Crabtree was at Texas Tech, but uh, I think we're gonna see someone come close, right? Because Washington State has had some great players and. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think they've had anyone as close to what Michael Crabtree did on the collegiate level. So, um, you know, not just statistically, but for the school, too. I mean, I remember all those kids at Texas Tech having those stupid crab legs and all that stuff. I mean, I was I do not like Michael Crabtree, but I, I can't. I'm a Texas fan. So yeah. um, the the other move was Nick Rolovich going from Hawaii to Washington State, Nick. And this one. Uh, this one might be just as good. I mean, you already kind of talked about it a little bit, but um, you know, the the run and shoot uh, possibly coming to Washington State. I mean, they're already kind of built for it, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the pieces are certainly there, but uh, they've they've you know they've got more to offer as well because uh, Nick Rolovich has done multiple things. I mean, he he was a quarterback at Hawaii, played under June Jones in the run and shoot. And then he, he was an assistant in Hawaii. Uh, among other places, he uh, went to Nevada and actually coached under Chris all right when the uh, pistol basically was, was blossoming. So he's got that in his background as well. And, and when he came back to Hawaii uh, as the head coach, he ran a pistol based system for the first few years and then, you know, did run the football a, a fair amount. But uh, before the 2018 season, you know, they had taken a step back in 2017 and, and uh, he looked around and thought, you know what, I, I got to sort of be who I am, so to speak. And, and uh, the run and shoot has, it, it is a, a niche offense. I, I, Think of it a lot like the triple option in a lot of ways. Just you know, they've got uh, option routes. It, it is a a system from top to bottom. Traditionally, you know, if you run the run and shoot, the run and shoot you run is is going to be the same everywhere. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but but uh, he went back to it, and all of a sudden, Hawaii is is uh, putting up you know back to back bowl. Uh, games and, and putting up huge numbers with Cole McDonald throwing the football around and and you know it was an exciting time again and and certainly he became a, a more of a 
uh, more of a name. He's another guy that's got a lot of personality, and, and um, it seems like a, a very nice transition from the Washington State side of things because he is going to, you know, he is going to throw the ball around a lot, but he's also got Max Borgie. So I, I would not be at all surprised if we see less of the just traditional run and shoot, at least while Borgie's there, and and see more of a, you know, something similar to that uh, pistol-based system that he that he had before, or some sort of combination. I know he's been tweaking things a little bit uh, over the years, and, and certainly uh, McDonald has run more than you normally would expect a run-and-shoot quarterback uh, to run. So uh, it, it will be, again, interesting to watch, you know, uh, much like Mike Leach is going to have uh, access to, to better players, uh, more players in the South. Rolovich now has easier access to more players being on the mainland. And, and he certainly is still going to have a footprint in Hawaii where, you know, Washington state does recruit Hawaii. Brandon Arcanado, who had a huge year this year, uh, is from Hawaii and, and, you know, played in high school in the run and shoot and, and things like that. Unfortunately, he's out of eligibility, but there are plenty of receivers that that will be back including a couple that they were able to redshirt uh upperclassmen so uh he's stepping into a pretty good situation there washington state did about as well as you could expect them to do and and uh, i think it's it's certainly a good fit it'll it'll be fun to watch and, and i would not expect them to to take a major step back uh, seem, seems to be a good fit he's going to be able to to uh kind of keep doing what they're doing you know with his own uh, spin on things, but but putting the ball in the air a lot, having uh, fun offense to watch, and uh, you would expect that Washington State will continue to be a dangerous team. Uh, I mean, is there anyone that's more excited and more in depth about a Hawaii coach going to Washington State than Nick is, Xavier? I mean, that Absolutely was not. that was amazing. Look at that breakdown. Yeah. The only the only thing he'd probably be more excited about if he heard Matt Rule was coming back to college. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt Rule is is dead to me. He's <laughs> dead. Well, apparently so is Joe Brady because Joe Brady's yeah. going to leave and be his uh, OC his for right the Panthers. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, that that's going to be uh, an interesting pairing. I saw immediately. It's funny in my uh, in this league. Uh, group me room that that's our our patreon over at itl someone said is there any chance that um that the panthers would try to trade up for that number one pick to get joe burrow go get burrow yeah and i said well i i think maybe they would want to but if you're the Bengals, if you decide that you don't want joe burrow you'll trade down well no you can't trade down you have to take chase young like uh, you know, you get you. That's the move you have to make unless you're going to get that Herschel Walker, Ricky Williams deal out of the Panthers. And my buddy was like, well, what if they traded uh, their first round pick this year, next year, Cam Newton and a third rounder? I'm like, well, that is a Ricky Williams deal. You know, yeah. that's two first rounders, a third and a former NFL MVP for the number one overall pick. So that is one of those deals. So. I don't think that doesn't seem too unfeasible, though. Uh, And I I don't think that that's too out of the question. I think that the Panthers want to restart at the quarterback position. And if Brady can convince them that this is the guy and there's nothing that rule can really say to say otherwise. uh, And, uh, you know, upstairs may have a different opinion, but 
I wouldn't be shocked by it, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, now, I don't know about two first-rounders, maybe a first, a second, and a third over the next three years, and Cam. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Bengals did it. But see, I think, I think at that point it becomes questionable, and I think it has to be one of those deals where you go, no, 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 that's no question I'm taking that deal. You know what I mean? And I think Cam Newton, two first-rounders, and a third probably would be. Uh, I, I think I can hear Nick rolling his eyes with us talking about the NFL. The NFL. I mean, he just yeah. said that Matt Rule is dead to him, and here we are talking <laughs> about uh, NFL stuff. But uh, Joe Brady leaves uh, to go to the Panthers. Tom Reese is promoted to OC at Notre Dame. I mean, Xavier, uh, is how much is LSU losing? I know t- Nick, Nick already talked about it a little bit when we were breaking down uh, the national championship game. How much is LSU losing? And is Tom Reese, um, is he the answer here at Notre Dame? I think LSU is losing a ton. Um, and obviously it's, I I feel so it's more than what we are building it up to be. Um, I genuinely think that we're going to look back at this in a couple of years and depending on what happens with LSU, we'll be looking back on it in a Dan Quinn, Kyle Shanahan type view where Kyle Shanahan has now was the OC for the Falcons and made them the best offense uh, in the NFL since 2001, I believe, statistically, left to go be a head coach for the 49ers, now has them in the Super Bowl, and since then the Falcons have gone 7-9, 7-9. Depending on what happens at LSU, if they never get to these heights again in the next three seasons, we'll be looking at whether or not they should have promoted Brady and whether they should have got rid of Orgeron. Now, I know at the time, this sounds kind of out of, this sounds ridiculous, but I genuinely believe that this LSU offense is going to take a regression next year. Obviously, they lose Burrow, so that's going to be one thing. They're going to lose Chase more than likely. Uh, they're going to lose some offensive talent. Uh, Chase is a true sophomore. He'll be oh, back. I'm sorry. You're right. But, I'm, but am Jefferson, I about Jefferson? Yeah. Jefferson's gone already. He announced mm-hmm. yeah. before we, or right, right when we were getting ready to record. He got a so, grip of that think, money, so he was going to get suspended oh, yeah. Yeah. anyway. Uh, if he wasn't going <laughs> to exactly. lose. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think right now... Um, well, it's going to it's gonna have to be wait and see. Uh, do I think this LSU offense is going to be as good as it was this year, next year? Absolutely not. But I think that that's the only way we have to look at this team going into the next season. Um, as far as Notre Dame is concerned, I don't know. I genuinely don't. Um, I still feel like Ian Book is a huge question mark. Um, that offense, for me, had looked so good in some games. They absolutely obliterated Navy. And then against Georgia, they looked you know, Ian Book likely had a wet noodle for a right arm. So I don't know. Um, you know, it's one of those situations where you can change OCs all you want to, but if the quarterback doesn't, it isn't good enough to get the job done, then that's just what it is. Um, and that's just an unfortunate reality that they may be going up, going against right now. Uh, so I don't think that I don't, we, we wait and see. We wait and see. OCs are very, you know, hit or miss. Either they're a Joe Brady or they end up, you know, getting fired two years after being hired. So, it, it's a it's a weird situation, and we'll have to just wait and see. Nick, what do you think about Tom Reese? Well, I think it's interesting because uh, Chip Long, you know, it, it seemed that the the personalities he and Brian Kelly they just sort of graded on each other. And even though Notre Dame had some pretty successful offenses the last few years, and and they did pick it up a good bit towards the end of the year uh, when you know Chase Claypool came out and and uh, helped sort of take the offense, you know, he started taking over the offense, I think, and uh, certainly helped book and, and having Kokomet at tight end was was uh, a big weapon as well. Both of those guys are gone. Book is coming back. Uh, 
And, you know, Notre Dame, I, I think I mentioned on a show a couple of weeks ago when I was starting to uh, sort of map out, you know, getting ready to, to do the transition from 2019 to 2020 in our team profiles. And as I was looking through the Notre Dame, uh, you know, taking a, a really close look at the roster, I was prepared for Notre Dame to be a, you know, a top five uh, team in the preseason in, in 2020. They did have a couple of guys declare for the NFL draft that I didn't expect, including Komet, who uh, who I think is rightly so leaving. It seems like he's going to be you know one of the top two tight ends in, in the draft. But he had previously said that he was coming back, and and then you know they lose uh, their their starting running back, and then Aloe Gilman, the safety is gone, and and they certainly have some rebuilding to do in the secondary. So I've, I've come back a little bit they're they're you know a solid top 10 preseason team and, and potentially a playoff contender but i was uh especially interested in this hire because brian kelly and chip long decided that that you know it, it wasn't working anymore and uh, they needed you know notre dame was going to take a new direction and i i wondered because it was you know we're going to hear for the next however long, you know, who's who's the next Joe Brady? Uh, Notre Dame needs to go get the next Joe Brady. Georgia needs to go get the next Joe Brady. And this seemed like a situation where you could do something like that. If there was another Joe Brady, and I'm not sure, you know, we talked about Joe Burrow being a unique case. Maybe Joe Brady is a, you know, maybe he's a, the next Bill Walsh or whatever. I don't know. But, uh it seemed like this might be a situation where they could go out, bring somebody from the outside uh, and help Notre Dame take another step forward, much like Long helped them do previously. You know, they, they were pretty good there for for three years or whatever it was. Uh, but when when Brian Kelly decided that he needed to go out, get two new coordinators and, and sort of revamp uh, sort of his whole approach, uh, we've seen Notre Dame take a step forward. This seemed like an opportunity to take that, you know, that next final step to actually become a national championship contender. And it's interesting to me that they decided to promote the 27-year-old with a limited background. And maybe, you know, maybe the next Joe Brady was already on staff. I don't know. Uh, but it, it was also interesting that they decided to go that route and not, uh, you know, look from the outside. And so I'm, I'm very curious to, to see how it shapes out. And everything I've heard about Reese, everything I've read about him is that he is a very smart guy, that he's a, a rising star in, you know, the, the coaching community. So hopefully it works out for them. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you know, hopefully this is is the right move. Uh, I'm, I'm just especially interested because it is, you know, I did not expect this to be the move. Now, there's uh, tons of other stuff that has happened, and we're going to get to a lot of it next week. The The deadline for players to declare for the draft is Monday, the 20th, mm -hmm. so we will have the full list and can break that down next week. Uh, we can reflect on the overall CFP winning edge record from this year next week and stuff, but I do want to do one thing before we move, oh. we, we move on here. Go ahead, Xavier. Uh, um, just now, uh, LSU released a statement regarding Odell Beckham Jr. and is working with the NCAA oh. and the SEC to rectify the situation. Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just do it when there's no cameras, OBJ. Good Lord. Come on. It's uh, OBJ. It's just no cameras, then. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah I mean, that's. You, you, are you OBJ? 
Uh, I mean, is that who we're talking to here? I mean, that you're exactly right. That's his attitude. If there's no cameras, what's the point? But I got to ask you guys, you Georgia fans here, about uh, Jamie Newman uh, going to uh, officially enrolling at, at Georgia and uh, getting your, your next quarterback as Jake Fromm leaves towards the NFL. So, Xavier, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Nick to finish it out here. Well, I appreciate the floor. Um, Jamie Newman is the quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs. I could not be happier. Uh, man, we we're talking about a kid who's tough, hard-nosed, is going to run James Coley offense like a well-oiled machine. Uh, you know, I, I genuinely believe that when a kid does really good without t- the greatest talent, that when you just add talent, you know, to his to his repertoire then and to his arsenal of, of, of abilities, then he's just going to uh, excel at all levels. Um, first off, he didn't have a receiver anywhere near uh, George Pickens. I think that that's going to help him out tremendously. Uh, the run game at Georgia is far past what Wake Forest was doing late into the season. And on top of that, he'll have the opportunity in the ball so much more. His draft stock, honestly, I think, He's somebody that is on my list and not just being biased, but he's somebody on my list that was, could be a fast riser next year. Uh, we saw him make make Wake Forest what they were at points of the season with his ability to run the football. Um, this is a guy who is not afraid to take the ball and run. Uh, I think Georgia fans were clamoring just to see Jake Fromm pull it once all year. Um, and now if you're um, – an SEC defensive coordinator, you now have to scheme for that. That is going to be something that I think trend makes our offense so much better. It's, it's already been a good running offense, but you add in a quarterback who can also move on his feet, who can also pick up a third and one for you um, with everybody keying in on a Zamir White or a James Cook or a Kenny McIntosh or anybody like that. And the quarterback keeps it. Now our offense has new weapons. And I think that a lot of people in the SEC should be, a, should be afraid. Um, if you haven't done your homework on uh, Jamie Newman, please go do uh, before you hit my Twitter. Um, and, uh, yeah, I am one happy dog today. Uh, Nick, I mean, Jamie Newman transferring. Uh, we got to see a lot of him this year. He was uh, great in uh, CFF circles. A lot of guys really high on him. Our buddy Justin Heisey loves him. So, I mean, are you just uh, are you as excited as Xavier about him? Uh, excited's not necessarily the right word. I, I'm just I'm always uh, just very interested in, in whatever's, you know, going to happen. I, I think from, from Georgia's, uh, perspective, you know, you lose an experienced, talented quarterback like Jake Fromm and to be able to go out and get a ready-made starter who has starting experience, uh, who's six four two thirty five can run, can throw, you know, it's best case scenario. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Georgia is certainly, in a better place. Uh, you know, there, there was a period of time where Stetson Bennett was the penciled in starting quarterback for Georgia. And that that's, you know, no disrespect intended to him, but that's not really what, you know, you, you want if you're a Georgia fan. So to be able to go out and, and get somebody as talented uh, and as experienced and productive as Jamie Newman is, is huge. Uh, I disagree a little bit with Xavier. Wake Forest had some, some solid, uh, receiving options this year. Sage Surratt is a freak, and and uh, now physically, from a from a size uh, physicality standpoint, George Perkins is, is special, and and he is a special player. So so uh, yeah, you're you're on, on the one hand, yes, I agree that that you know perhaps he's better than than 
anybody you know on Wake Forest rosters specifically, but as a whole, uh, the the you know. Newman had some some weapons to work with. I was uh, one thing that that I'm curious to see, especially with Georgia, is the change in the offensive line. Because mm-hmm. one, Sam Pittman, we've talked about before, is gone. Uh, who's arguably the best offensive line recruiter in the country, and and on the short list of best offensive line coaches in the country. Uh, and they have, you know, Georgia has one full-time returning starter coming back on the offensive line, that center, Trey Hill. They've got some other guys that have experience, but uh, really the only other uh, guy that, that's started more than just a couple of games is uh, Ben Cleveland, who was academically ineligible for the Sugar Bowl. So you're not sure what his situation is going to be in the fall. It, you know, I would expect that he's not going to be around for spring practice. You know, If he's not eligible for a January bowl game, I would have to think that would be the case and and they certainly have talent i mean you know that there's there's a lot of talent on the offensive line but uh it's very inexperienced and now it's not going to have uh i mean matt luke i'm sure is is a great uh you know very very good offensive line coach but i I think that most probably would expect there to be a a slight drop off from Pittman, perhaps And, and so i'm curious about that because uh newman did not have a great offensive line at Wake Forest. Uh, so, you know, he, he did not stay healthy. Uh, he has not started a full season. So there's certainly some questions because he missed, you know, two or three games this year because of injury. He did not win the starting job coming out of uh, fall camp last year or, you know, 2018. There might have been some uh, disciplinary something. I don't remember exactly if that was the case, but I know true freshman Sam Hartman was the starter for Wake Forest at the beginning of the year. Newman was able to, to come on and have an impact late in the year and set himself up uh, to win the job, you know, th- this fall. Uh, but, you know, he, he's not necessarily a finished product. I think that's partly why he took the opportunity to, to go to Georgia. He's going to work in uh, more of a, you know, quote-unquote pro-style offense that seemed to be from uh, some quotes that uh, Bruce Feldman got at The Athletic uh, when talking to Newman right before he announced uh, was that he wanted to get away a little bit from, you know, the the, the RPO-centered offense at, at Wake Forest. And, and certainly, you know, Georgia can, can do those things, does those things a little bit, but I, I think that he wanted specifically to showcase uh, a little bit more of a pro- uh, you know, he's got a pro frame. He's got a pro arm. He, he sort of wants to to maybe uh, use this as an opportunity to to really showcase himself as an NFL draft, uh, you know, top end guy for for the NFL draft. So uh, it will certainly be interesting to watch. And 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 I, you know, we I think I think this was before we hit record, but we were talking a little bit uh, earlier about you know, uh, despite Georgia's. Uh, struggles on offense, especially in SEC play. You know, the the, the coaching staff—they're not dummies. They're they're going to figure out how to utilize uh, a player like Jamie Newman, and you know, they're they're going to uh, design things for him to run more than Jake Fromm did. I, I can almost guarantee. And certainly, they don't want to you know get him hurt. And I'm sure maybe Jamie Newman wants to run a little less than he did at Wake Forest. But I, I think that, you know, a power five program, you've got a coordinator, a power five program, who's just finished his first 
full season as a play caller. Now he gets to step back a little bit and evaluate, learn from some mistakes, uh, figure out, you know, he's got a whole off season to study other teams. What are other successful teams doing? What are, you know, what can uh, we take as, you know, Coley say, what, what could Georgia take uh, from what LSU did? Uh, from other accessible teams that are out there, I'm sure I'll study, you know, Lincoln Riley, all the all the hits, right? So, so I expect uh, Georgia to to certainly do some things differently to utilize a player as talented as Jamie Newman, and, and it's certainly the best case scenario for them. They also added tight end Trey McKitty, who's a, a graduate transfer from Florida State, so that helps uh, a, a position of need. Um, so, uh, it, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how the offensive line, uh, develops, but Georgia certainly has the, the baseline talent, uh, to compete in the SEC East. I think they're, uh, sort of somewhere in the seven or eight range in, in my uh, current initial, uh, 2020, uh, rankings, but, uh, certainly an opportunity to, to move up before the season starts. And, and they're certainly, uh, if not the favorite, the co-favorite in the SEC East. So they're a team that's capable of of uh, challenging for another playoff spot, I would expect. Yeah, it's going to be uh, – Jamie Newman and George is going to be a lot of fun to see and, and how, how different he looks and getting him with uh, – I think what Xavier probably meant more – is SEC talent around him, right? Mm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, Pickens, and uh, who's going to be the lead back next year? Is it going to be Cook? Is it going to be White? Are they going to split him? Prob- probably White. It'll probably be White by what it looked like in the bowl game. Um, I, and I know James Cook was hurt, but you got you got to think about the way Georgia runs the football between the tackles a lot. James Cook is more of a slender build back. Um, I don't know if they want to have him take on that much punishment maybe a little thunder uh, and lightning i yeah. was just about to yeah. say that I, I i bet they i bet they share carries a lot it, james cook is is somebody in and uh uh guy's name just escaped me the guy at, at uh penn state ricky slade they they remind me the the two of them are very similar uh both super uh, super talented very fast very athletic uh i would like to see both of them play a little bit more of a, a multifaceted rule similar to what mm-hmm. KJ Hamler played for Penn state last year. Uh, so I, I would certainly love to see Georgia be able to get cook and white on the field at the same time, uh, utilize both their skill sets at, at the same time. But I think Scott, you're absolutely right. The thunder and lightning is, is certainly an option they'll have available to them. Right. And Kenny McIntosh is, is a really highly yeah. regarded guy as well didn't get a whole lot of playing time this year uh didn't get a lot of carries he, he appeared in 12 games but uh he's another built you know built like zamir white 220 ish something in that range so they've got options for sure all right well that is going to continue uh, yep uh, that is going to wrap it up for this show uh and but don't forget guys i know uh the games are over but we are continuing here we've got you covered for the entire offseason all college football all the time so stick with us in this offseason, and uh, we will be back next week probably talking a lot about the prospects that decide, decided to leave, who's taking over some jobs here and there. So uh, be sure you are with us. And, Nick, tell everybody about the CFP Winning Edge Patreon. Absolutely. Uh, I've referenced a couple of times. This is your first time listening our FBS team profiles. Uh, our Tier 2 patrons uh, get access to... 
uh, our uh, FBS team profiles. We've got all 130 teams. We've got individual player ratings for over 11,000 players. I'm currently in the process of going through team by team, updating, ma- making sure that the depth charts are uh, as perfect as they can possibly be, making sure get to update all the games played, games started, uh, information and all of our player ratings and and uh, switching over to 2020. So over the next six weeks or so, I'll be uh, finalizing all of that and uh, we will be uh, hopefully ahead of the curve, the, the most uh, in-depth depth chart and, and uh, personnel uh, document that, that you can get, hopefully we'll, we'll have for you on March 1st for uh, both 2019 and 2020. So if you're interested in seeing those things, uh, please do check us out. Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. And remember, you can find us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And we'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.